We will start in Genesis chapter 9 and we will start at verse 31 and go through to chapter 30 verse 24. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because because the Lord has seen my misery, surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again and when she gave birth to a son this time, I will praise the Lord, she said. So she named him Judah and then she stopped having children. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Then she said, Here is Belah, my maidservant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and that through her I too can build a family. So she gave him her servant Belah as a wife. Jacob slept with her and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Belah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have a great struggle with my sister and I have one. So she named him Daphtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her maid servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, What good fortune! So she named him Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, How happy I am! The women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. During wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Wasn't it enough that you took my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So when Jacob came in from the field that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. God listened to Leah and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my maidservant to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honour because I have borne him six sons. And she named him Zebulun. Sometime later she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and opened her womb. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, May the Lord add to me another son.
Well, how about the Bible, huh? So good. I'm so excited for this. All right. So, you guys have the biggest news of the week. If you were reading the papers and all sort of stuff, surely you couldn't have missed this one. All right? It's a big, 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 big story. That's right. Taylor's version of Red came out. Okay? Exciting stuff. Those who know, know. All right? So it's, it's so great. I knew pretty much exactly who would be nodding out there as I said this, and I'm seeing it all happening in front of me, so it's great. Taylor Swift re-launching and re-recording one of her earlier albums, and it's great because we get young Taylor, right? When she is uh, this 20-year-old girl writing these songs, dealing with the heartbreak and pain and discontent and all this sort of stuff. And the thing that I love about Taylor, just give me a sec here, guys. In her songs, the reason she's so great is because some of the lyrics that she drops, it'll be a single line, but you'll get a picture of everything that's going on in that moment. And it, it's, it's, it's not a lot, you know? In, in one of her songs, you get this line, we're, we're dancing in the dark in the refrigerator light. And you just, you see it, right? Okay, you, you see that moment. And when we read through the story, we, we're given this crazy tale. But we're given all these little hints that just sort of help us to unpack how much more is actually going on in the lives of these women. Now, Taylor has moved on from these early years. You know, she seems to be in a much better place emotionally and all that sort of stuff. But in this passage, we're going to see some women that are dealing with some stuff. Alright? And the way that that affects them is going to help us think a little bit about our life. And, um, you know, we can just, we can talk about Jake Gyllenhaal later, guys. Again, if you know, you know. Alright? We'll do that later. Now, in this passage, like I said, uh, like Meg said in the kids' spot, we're coming off the back of where Jacob has been tricked into marrying Leah. He thought he was going to get Rachel, and then on the night of his wedding, Laban, his uncle, pulls a switcheroo, and Leah is sent in. He sleeps with Leah, thinking it's Rachel, wakes up in the morning, and he is like, what is going on? But then Laban's like, it's cool, you can still marry Rachel, you just have to work for me for another seven years after you, after you marry her. Cool, great, alright? And now we get the repercussions that flow on from that. Just, it's one wacky family drama. Alright, so, it says this. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Reuben, although it means see a son, it sounds like the Hebrew word for misery. Surely my husband will love me now. I'll, I'll go through a couple of these and come back to him. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. And again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. Alright, so what do we get from these opening descriptions here? First up, we understand that Leah has been miserable. Why has she been miserable? It's because she is not loved. It says at the end of the, the passage that we looked at last week that Rachel, okay, was loved more by Jacob than Leah. Why was Jacob loving Rachel more than Leah? You guys remember? Okay. Well, what was it? What's, what's Leah's great distinguishing feature? Her, her weak eyes, right? Now, we don't know exactly what that means. It seems as though, though, she was not meeting the feminine standards of beauty at the time, and therefore she was not particularly desirable or attractive, especially compared to her pretty, you know, sister in figure and form. But that's not the only reason, surely. 
that Jacob might be having a little bit of trouble loving Leah. And it's great, because I feel like as I've talked about this passage all week, everyone just kind of forgets this. What might be another reason that Jacob might not be too crash hot on Leah? She tricked him, man! I mean, that's a big one to get past. I understand that she had to kind of probably do what her dad told her to do, all right? But that's still a lot to come back from, that I thought I was marrying somebody else and you pretended to be your sister and slept with me when I didn't know. That's a thing, all right? So Leah, unsurprisingly, finds herself in a situation where she is not loved. But in much the same way that the Lord looked at Hagar back in Genesis chapter 16 and saw the difficult situation that she was in, God chooses to have mercy on Leah and gives her the gift of these sons, which back then in the ancient Near East was a big deal. If you're a woman and you either weren't married or you were married and you were not producing children, that was considered to be a shameful thing. Maybe even a sense that you know God's judgment was upon you or that God was denying you a good thing. It did not reflect well on you. Now, thankfully, these days we understand that that's not the case, but certainly in the culture at the time, this was a real stigma. And so for her to have not just a son, but multiple sons, was a real boon. But we see here in these names, these little snippets of what is going on in Leah's heart and what her desire is, don't we? So we see that her desire in naming Reuben, see a son, is that surely now my husband will love me. Her desire, despite the son that she's just had, is that her husband would love her. Same thing with Levi. Now, at last, my husband will become attached to me. Levi, again, meaning joining or connection, something like that. It's this idea that I want my husband to love me. I've been given sons. I've got this great blessing. But the names given to these kids reveal that what's in her mind still is the fact that my husband doesn't love me. And I get it, right? I mean, this is a woman who was always being compared to her younger sister. And think about this. In the time when the deal was made between Jacob and Laban for Jacob to get Rachel as a wife, seven years pass. That's seven years of Leah where she was eligible, could have been married to somebody else, and was passed by despite the fact that her her father was, was fairly wealthy. Leah has been rejected for years. And so you can understand some of that emotional drive to be loved, especially now that she has a husband and and has this expectation that this is what it's meant to be. He's meant to love me, but he does not. And after three sons still not getting any love from her husband, she says, this time I will praise the Lord. She calls him Judah, which means praise, and then she stops having children. So, Leah blessed in some ways, in great ways, and yet at the same time, discontent and dissatisfied and focused on what she doesn't have. What about Rachel? Where's she at? Well, it says, When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. What a role reversal, right? For how long has Rachel been the favoured child? For how long has Rachel been the desired one? For how long has Rachel been the one that's had it all? Jacob's affection, the praise of others, no doubt. And yet now she's jealous of Leah because of the sons that have come to her. And she's not jealous, like she's intense about it, right? Like this could be a Taylor Swift lyric. You know, if, if Taylor is unsuccessful later on in having kids herself, maybe she's got some stuff to work through. Give me children or I'll die! Okay, this is an intense moment. This is a reflection of where her heart is at. Give me children or I'll die. That's how deep this longing goes. But as we're going to see, 
It's, it's connected not so much to her maternal nature and desire for a child to love, but rather the shame that comes with not being able to have kids. And again, we might not necessarily feel the shame in the same way, but I know that people in this room, other dear friends of ours, when you're not able to have kids, that is a painful, painful place to be, whatever your motive. And so she feels it strongly. Now Jacob gives a theologically correct, but perhaps not super kind response to this. Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Yes, Jacob, God is in control. Well done. Could have been a little nicer, I think, to your wife here. Uh, but when Rachel came to him and said, Give me children or I'll die, she had a plan in mind. Because she immediately follows up with, Here is Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and I too can build a family through her. It's the ancient Near East version of a a surrogate. right? Finding somebody else to have the baby for you when you're not able to. And this was standard practice. We saw when we looked at Genesis chapter 16, which has really similar words, that this is what happened with Sarah. Sarah was unable to conceive, despite the promise that she'd had from God that she would have a child. It wasn't happening, so she takes her Egyptian slave, Hagar, gives it to Abraham and says, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Exact same words, right? Build a family through her. Build a family through her. So this was a common practice. This wasn't a totally wacky idea for her. There are even rules around how you could do it and all that sort of stuff. But still, it's a, it's a move. Right? Not what we, not what we would consider, uh, what God would be wanting given what we've seen, you know, marriage to be so far, Garden of Eden and all that sort of stuff. Now interestingly, this time, it works out a lot better for these guys than it did for Sarah back in the day. Sarah got into a, you know, big dispute with Hagar. Hagar looked down upon her. It didn't go well. But here, it works out okay. At least as far as we know. Keeping in mind again, how Bilhah might have been feeling about just being given over like this. So Rachel gave Jacob her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her, and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Now here's where it gets really interesting. Then God, then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this she named him Dan, which means vindication. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I've had a great struggle with my sister and I have won. So she named him Naphtali. Now think about this. Remember, I said that we get these little pictures that show what's going on in the person's heart. Her rejoicing here is not in I have a son, what a wonderful gift he is to me, I'm so glad to be a mother, nothing like that, but rather the arrival of this child means that I am vindicated. Vindicated is a legal word. It means that now I'm free from accusation, I'm free from shame because I've been given this son. I'm not a bad person, I have the son to prove it because that's what God does. He gives them to good people. Not what the Bible would teach overall, but it's what they thought there at the time. And so she says, I'm vindicated now. She feels like there's a sense of the shame's not on me, but also, okay, it's in comparison with her sister. She's seen this battle going on between her sister and her. And remember, Rachel, previously always the favoured one, now Leah's been having all these kids, and she's trying to get back in the game, so to speak, as far as her standing. Again, not her affection with Jacob. Jacob loves her. She has Jacob's affection. What she wants is 
that sense of being right before God in the eyes of others and also the, the praise of others around her. So she's got some good stuff. She's got the affection from Jacob. She's been blessed. But she's still discontent and focused on winning this perceived battle that she's created with her sister. Even though we might look at this and say, you know, in what sense are you winning now? I think everyone, when you read this, you're like, how does Rachel claim a win here? She's still losing 4-2, right? Just scoreboard, right? But I think what it is is this. Now not only do I have Jacob's affection, but I have the children that vindicate me as well. Even though we're going to see in a second that maybe she doesn't totally feel the fullness of that vindication. Now, here's, again, where this crazy drama just keeps... There's so much here. It's so great. I wish we had four hours. Now, when Leah saw... Okay, now get this. Remember, Leah's winning. 4-2. Right? Leah stopped having kids, but we're okay. Leah's just going to praise God for the blessings that I've gotten. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, okay, and remember, the narrator structured this right after we've heard Rachel declare victory. Okay? Leah's set. Praising God, four sons, cool. Rachel claims victory. Next thing we're told, Leah stopped having children and she gives her servant Zilpah to Jacob as a wife also. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, what good fortune, so she named him Gad. Notice this time, we're not praising God for the arrival of this child here in this immediate context, nor are we naming the child with reference to Jacob And again, we don't really ever want to read our own context too much into Scripture. We've got to be careful with that and everything. But it's a little bit hard not to see Rachel, okay, so Leah, as she names her child here, right after Rachel's claim victory, being like, oh, two sons, that's awesome. Look at my fifth. What good fortune. Yeah, actually, this this phrase, Gad, can not just mean good fortune, but like a tribe. Like, oh, two kids, that's awesome. See my tribe? He goes on with the birth of the next child. Leah's servant Zilpah bought Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, how happy I am. The women will call me happy. No reference to Jacob. But my social standing amongst all the other women, they will look upon me now and say how happy I am. So she calls him Asher, which means blessed. And I can just see the Instagram post. Blessed. Right? This is not now focused on Jacob. This is now very much in response to her sister and the perceived victory that she's claiming. I think the women will call me blessed, darling. And then we get the mandrakes. Now, let's jump in. During wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. We need some background here to understand everything that's loaded into this. A mandrake looks like this, laid on its side there, okay? So this is kind of the, the head, and you can sort of, it, it kind of looks like a person, right? Flaming hair, head, some limbs coming down here, and all that sort of stuff, right? Because of its resemblance to a person, the mandrake was thought to be an aphrodisiac of sorts. Now that's really important, because now what we have is this. Leah's son, Reuben, finds the mandrakes. Rebecca, who, remember, has claimed vindication. She's claimed the win, all right? And yet, is very interested in obtaining the plant that will enable her husband to keep giving her more opportunities to conceive. 
Okay, so this retreat request from Mandrakes is not just like, I like to spice up my meals. It's actually a request for something that will help her to possibly, in her mind at least, have more children. And that explains Leah's reaction here. Right? Because she's made the request for... She's asked nicely even, right? Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. It's a polite request that suggests Rachel is feeling better about things, that I can engage with you civilly, but Leah's response is strong. Wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take away my son's mandrakes too? Now, again, in context, some of you might have been like, wait, Leah's claiming that Rachel stole her husband? Wasn't wasn't she the one that, that did the deceiving and all that sort of stuff? I think, again, what she's talking about here is it's pretty clear because of Jacob's affection for Rachel, that's where his time goes. There's a sense here that now that Leah has stopped having kids, that Jacob's focus is very much on Rachel. And now that Jacob doesn't have a sense of a duty to continue to try and have more children because Leah's not birthing any more kids, the focus is entirely on Rachel. Rachel, she's saying to us that you've stolen him away from me and now you even want what my son is finding? With that added edge to, you know, really straightforwardly, have more sex? And then, of course, Rachel responds with this transactional offer. Uh, Oh, I skipped skipped a verse there, sorry. But basically, Rachel says, fine, you can sleep with him tonight. Okay, you give me the mandrakes, all right, and then you, you can have them for a night. That's what you want, and that's 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 telling, right? Because Leah doesn't say that's what she wants, but Rachel immediately understands that's what she's talking about. You want time with Jacob, so tonight you can be with him. So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes, and I just would give anything to see the look on Jacob's face <laughs> at that point. Like, what? Okay, okay, he's looking at Rachel, she's like, mm-hmm, okay. So he slept with her that night. And, I'm sure to Rachel's surprise, because she thinks this is probably a no-risk venture at this point, right? Leah stopped having kids, fine, have a night with them, I get the mandrakes, I get what I want. What happens? Leah conceives again. A fifth son. And then she comes up with one of the hottest theological takes in the Bible, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband. Again, think she's a little off course here uh, with putting the pieces together, but this is how she understands things. Maybe she was feeling a little guilty about what she had done. Maybe she didn't feel great about it, but now that she's been blessed with her son, she feels again that God is still with me, so maybe this is a reward of sorts. Again, just because it's written in the Bible doesn't mean that's the teaching of God. It just means that's what these characters were thinking at the time. So she's got a hot take here. Probably not right, but that's cool. Leah conceived again, though. And bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons. Notice the switch again. Remember, Leah now has been naming sons with reference to how the women will see her, these sort of passive-aggressive declarations of how blessed she is, and that sort of stuff. Even her last son was about God and has rewarded me for what I did with my servant. But it seems like now that Jacob is paying attention to her again, why? Because she's birthing again, that she has this hope that maybe I will have 
Jacob's affection. Maybe I can get Jacob's honor at the very least. Fascinating, right? We're given the note here that sometime later she go, that she gave birth to a daughter named Diana. That comes in much more significantly later, but we're not going to spend time on that now. And then finally we get, then God remembers Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. And here's the real kicker. So she named him Joseph and said, May the Lord add to me another son. Through this entire passage, what has been Rachel's heartbreak? The lack of a son. She has desperately wanted this thing. She's gone to the extent of having a surrogate and having children with that. She claims vindication there and yet obviously didn't totally feel it because when she has a son born of her own body, what does she say? God has taken away my disgrace. Clearly, she still felt on some level as though she was stained by the fact that she didn't have a child. But what blows my mind is that soon as she gets exactly what she has been looking for, what does she name him? Please, sir, can I have some more? She gets the object of her affection, the thing that she has been discontent without, and as soon as she gets it, she wants more. And so I think that when we look at these two women and we see everything that's going on between them, it's pretty fascinating comparison to make. Because this is what we've got to get, okay? Because it's hard to sort of pull back when we're, we're, we're trapped in the craziness of the story. But think about this. These two women, okay, by some crazy means, no doubt, have married into whose family? Abraham's. Right? Jacob, as the grandson of Abraham and the one who God has spoken to, now carries with him all of the blessings that are going to come to the family of Abraham. And I have no doubt that Jacob will have mentioned this to these Women, that these are the promises that have been put upon me. I imagine it would have been part of his sales pitch to Laban to get Rachel. So these women have been blessed. They are now part of the people of God. They've got a promise from God that their children are going to populate the earth, that nations are going to come forth from them. They're going to have a land of their own and they're going to be a blessing to the nations. That is the promises that these women now have. One of them on top of this also is blessed with many sons. right? And the other one is blessed with a husband who loves and adores her and was willing to work for 14 years to get her. Ladies, don't make that your bar. Just quietly. Alright? But here's the point. Both of these women are incredibly blessed. Like, compare their standing and status and promises and all that sort of stuff to every other woman on the planet right now and you can make a case that these were the most blessed. And yet, what are they focused on? What they don't have. And I understand it. And I'm not unsympathetic. Please don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that they're shallow. What I'm saying is that even though their desire for these things were good, for, in Rachel's case, for a son. In Leah's case, affection from her husband. Those are good things to hope for and want, but they're not 
everything, and compared to all the other blessings, it's, it's kind of crazy how their discontent in each of those two areas drive them to the decisions that they make. But, th- but this is what we do as people, right? It's so easy for us to focus on what we don't have, especially when we start to compare ourselves to others, rather than to be thankful for the things that we do have. So the person who has financial security and is doing well in their job or career looks in the mirror and is unimpressed with what they see and that defines them as a person. The person who's got a loving family and relationship and and a tight bond and all that sort of stuff visits somebody's house and they look at the view that they've got and they see their living space and now they're discontent with their home and grumpy when they get back there. There's all these things where you know we, we consider ourselves beautiful, we're adored by people and all that sort of stuff, but our relational situation is a mess, and so it's, it's discontent and frustration and pain in life. This is what we, we do. We focus on what we don't have, and it leads to this discontent, which, and as, and as we see here with the sisters, leads to us to compare. We get jealous and envious of what others have. And instead of saying thankful to God for the blessings that we do have, we can grow bitter and frustrated and make decisions where, you know, that, that phrase, like I, it's like I was out of my mind with jealousy and that sort of stuff. Like we, we become less than ourselves as we do this. And for Christians, if I can say this nicely, it, it's even more foolish for us to do it because in Christ, when we believe in Jesus, the blessings that we have outstrip and surpass anything that this world could possibly offer to us. We have been, through Jesus' death and resurrection and our faith in Him, joined to the very God of this universe and promised eternal life with Him and a future where one day there will be no more pain and no more tears and He will recreate this world and we will live in communion with Him forever. Sins forgiven, clean, pure before him. And yet, instead of rejoicing in all of that, we say, I don't have a husband, I don't have a wife, I don't have financial security, I don't have the car that I want, I don't have the living room that I want, I don't have this, I don't have that, I don't have this. And again, I, I get it. I'm not, I'm not trying to demean this. Like, this is the thing, right? None of these things that we want are, are necessarily bad, they're not bad in and of themselves. But when our heart goes after these things and makes them the only thing that we're looking at, it's like we talked about the other week, you know, if I take anything and hold it up right in front of my eye here, this is all I can see. But there is a way where we can live in contentment no matter what is going on. And it's what the Apostle Paul talks about in the book of Philippians. He says this, Whatever, gain, whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. See, Paul understood that everything else in this world was nothing compared to the gift of being right with God, of knowing God, of being found in Christ. Everything else, and 
if you read through the rest of Paul's letters, he doesn't think it, that everything else is literal garbage. He's not trying to say that. But in comparison to everything that I have in God, everything else is trash. And when you get that deep in your heart, then whatever you are missing in this world, you, you can now see that in terms of, I can be okay with not having this because I have all of that. So what Paul says in chapter 4 of Philippians. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. What is the key to being content in every situation? It's by having the strength that I get from being in Christ. It's the strength that he gives me because I know what I have in him. So the lesson for us from this passage is to look in you again at those things where we might be getting discontent and frustrated. Those things that we don't have, where where life isn't turning out the way that we would want it to. What are the things that you look at and then compare it to what somebody else has and you're jealous or insecure, where you see yourself acting out. Parents, when, when somebody says something good about somebody else's child, do you ever think about, like, why didn't they say something about mine? But, you know, is, is that the source of your insecurity? When somebody talks about their, their wealth, do you feel ashamed that you don't have that level of success? When, when you see a happy marriage, can all you think about is your own singleness. Now again, I want to say this really clearly. I understand why each of those things could be really difficult and bring pain. I'm not saying they are small things. But what I am trying to say is that the key to continuing to love the Lord and love others well, even when we go through the pain of losing out on those things, is to remember that it is first and foremost in Christ that we find everything that we need. And maybe the Lord will bless us with those things eventually like he does with Rachel. Maybe we'll be like Leah and never get our husband's affection. She disappears from the narrative after this story. Not mentioned again. After we, we get past the, the return to Esau and all that sort of stuff. This is it. This is, this is her moment. But either way, we can be content in Christ if we understand the surpassing riches of everything that we have in him. And I'm going to pray that we understand that now. Father God, thank you so much for everything that we have in Jesus. Thank you for this story that shows us this lesson. Please help us to learn from it well. That we'd be willing to examine our own hearts and understand those things that are making us feel ashamed or embarrassed that we don't have them or make us feel less than because we don't have what somebody else does. Whatever those things are that are making us discontent in life and stopping us from being able to rejoice in all the blessings that they have, please help us to see them clearly this morning, Lord. Help us to repent where we've made too much of the good things that you give to us. And instead, Lord, may we find our contentment in Christ no matter what. Lord, may we rejoice in the gift of righteousness that we have, that you have purchased for us through the blood of your Son. And Father, as we do this, may we be able to let go of that desire and that sense that our happiness will be found in any of your gifts rather than in you and you alone.
So by the power of your spirit, may we do that this week for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.